I trust we have our robes of joy put on this morning and that they go deeper than our clothes. Go to our heart, like that song says, our, our robes of joy put on. Bring our choices and our best before His pierced feet. This morning, the title of my message is The Significance of Easter. And I've decided not to go directly to the Easter story. I trust you've read that or will read that uh, over the past week or in the coming weeks. Um, But instead, look at more of the peripheral picture, more of the anchors to Easter that we find throughout the Bible. For an opening scripture, I'd like to read um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And let's stand to, to read. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. The humble and exalted Christ, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated. Thinking again of the significance of Easter. Jesus Christ, the Lamb, and the Lion. The cost of the the cross. the The sacrifice of Christ foretold. The power of the blood. The ruler of all peoples. These are all tied into the significance of Easter. And there's a lot more. You just can't. There's such a rich fabric of Christ and of His sacrifice, of His resurrection, and of His eternal being all through Scripture. There's no way to draw it all together. And what I have here is a very humble attempt at best. But I'd like to, to first of all meditate a bit about Christ this morning of the person we're focusing on. Jesus says this in John 12, 32, And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw, bring all peoples to myself. Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Some almost um, contrast here, a drawing. And it's in a, in a forceful declaration that every knee shall bow to me. So first there's a drawing, then there's a the de- de- declaration that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And this is saying a lot. There's some tongues out there that uh, are very adamant that they will not confess Jesus as the Lord. But they will one day. I'd like to keep that in mind as we go through Christ's authority. Again, Christ's life and his mission can seem complicated and even contradictory. As we read in Philippians 7, 2, 7-11, through 11, his seeming vulnerability. He made himself of no reputation. 
But the people that saw him in that day, they didn't realize that Christ was making himself of no reputation, really. They saw an humble and a vulnerable person. They didn't see that through the lens that we see it through, through history and through the text of the Bible. Now, some did, some scholars did. The word of Isaiah would have pointed towards that. But he seemed very vulnerable to those people. Became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then we have his glorification, his power. Philippians 2, verse 10. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven, in earth, and under the earth. Whatever that means. I think that means the darkness, the demons. You know, folks or brothers or sisters. You know, whoever you are, or even enemies. Whoever you are in relation to each other or anyone else this morning, at some point in your life, only one thing will matter. Only one thing will matter. One relationship. And in fact, in some point of your life or in eternity, soon after death or the judgment, every other acquaintance or friendship or heritage will become absolutely meaningless to you. It will become as pish posh to you. There will only be one person who you'll really care about knowing. And this person has made himself known to us. He's been here to the earth. He's left of himself testimony. You know, the Easter story is not some sort of pastel colored egg, how or hopping bunny story. It's not some soft, squishy story. It's not chocolatey. The Easter story is one of love. It's one of humility. It's one of obedience. It speaks of scorn. It speaks of dark red blood flowing, signaling physical death. And it also speaks of spiritual life, of life-giving blood. It speaks of one of the earth shaking, the veil rending, the visitation of powerful heavenly beings, and best of all, our Lord's, our Christ's resurrection into heavenly glory. And if there's anything I would like to impress on our minds this morning, it's this, that in our business of life, in its challenges, life's challenges, that we strive earnestly to keep a thriving relationship with this person, this, our Christ, our Redeemer. Because I believe when you look at the Easter story, that's all that really matters in the end. That is the bottom line. When we talk about business things or talk about some other things, often we call it, say, the bottom line. We want to know what the bottom line is. What's it really mean? And that's the bottom line. It's about Jesus. So I'd like to look at the cost of the cross. What the crucifixion, the resurrection meant for Jesus. I believe we need to feel that. The sentiments of Christ regarding his sacrifice. You know, these sentiments were leaked already back in the Old Testament by by the prophets. You hear about the leak, the, the press leaking something that the president is going to say or someone else is going to say. Well, in a sense, the sentiments of Christ were leaked 
before Christ's appearance. If we look at Psalm 22, and you're welcome to open your Bible to there. I'm going to read it, verse 11 through verse 21. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. I believe this is Christ and his feeling there coming up to the crucifixion. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan, or Bashan, have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and, and a roaring lion. Just look at the word picture there. These strong bulls of a geographical place there in Israel of Bashan gathered round. They had, I believe, these herds of cattle. And there was bulls, and these bulls would get aggressive. Uh, the, the roaring lion. <coughs> I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of, the de of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all of my bones. They look and stare upon me, just thinking there of the humiliation of Christ there naked on the cross and people staring on him it's the ultimate humiliation I may tell all my bones and look upon me and these look and stare upon me they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture but be not far from me O Lord O my strength haste thou to help me deliver me from the soul deliver my soul from the sword my darling from the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And I think this is speaking of Christ feeling that silence from God, feeling rejected, no response, laughed to scorn by the people, despised, viewed as a worm, poured out like water, heart like wax. Um... Tongue sticks to my jaws. And an assembly of evildoers evil enclosed around about him. You know, how much worse can it get than that? How much more rejected could you feel than that? How much more vulnerable could you be than to, to, to be in that situation? And yet, he put himself there. He voluntarily put himself into that place. And yet the people didn't know that. The people that were, that were there, they didn't understand that. They saw him as vulnerable. They saw him as one rejected, despised. Isaiah 53, and I think this is, I believe this is a prof, the prophet's preview of the crucifixion scene. Verse 1 through 7. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He came out as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. This is a tender plant out of Jesse. A little plant that could seemingly be broken very easily. Jesse's root had been mostly squashed by this point. There wasn't, the root of David wasn't really very apparent in Israel at, at this point. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we sh shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid it, as it were, faces from him. 
He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And again, there's nothing as vulnerable as that sheep before the shears or that lamb getting slaughtered. They can kick and squirm a little bit, but they don't bite. They don't do damage. Uh, They're pretty much a vulnerable little creature, and that's how Christ appeared to the prophet Isaiah here. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. All he did for us, and yet we esteemed him not. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And then we look at Christ, the Lamb of God, in the garden. He says there, Luke 22, verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It wasn't something he wanted to do. It wasn't something he looked forward to. And yet it talks about, in a couple places in the Bible, one in Revelation, and uh, one I believe in First or Second Peter, it talks about this, the Lamb of God, or in Hebrews, being slain before, or before the foundation of the world. I think it is something, I believe it was something he knew was coming. Um, and he already experienced, as it were, from the foundation of the world, all that, all that um, could reconcile man to God again was done by him even before. And all that would reconcile man to God after the crucifixion event would be because of him, what he had done. But he says here, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And an angel appeared, and, and there appeared an angel tend to him from heaven and strengthened him. And being in an agony, Christ being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It wasn't, again, something he looked forward to, that he anticipated with gladness. And when it, the time came, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. I don't know what all he must have lived through. I don't think we can formulate in our minds the depth of his agony. I don't believe we can get there. I don't think we can mine it. If we stayed here, it might would do us good if we stayed here all day and the next and would try to mine the agony of Christ. But I don't believe we could really, you know, it would do us good, but we couldn't get to anywhere close to the depths, I think, of what he was feeling. Only in eternity, I think, as we move through eternity, we grasp the depth of Christ's agony and what he did for us. <clears throat> That's the sacrifice of Christ. So what does the power of the blood mean to us? What does the crucifixion and the resurrection mean to us, for us? One thing to remember 
We are the offenders. And we have, as Adam's race, rebelled against God, against our maker. Simply because we've disobeyed. God is our maker. And it's his divine right to direct us. It's his divine right to expect obedience from us. And we've rebelled. From Adam to us. And our hope is the free gift of Christ. That's our only hope of reconciliation with God. And the alternative is death. It's just that clear. I mean, we can rebel against the thought of God expecting us to, to obey him. We can rebel against this thought and say, you know, what right does God have to expect us to obey him? He made us and whatever else. And we, I've heard people do that. But we might as well get it into our minds, into our ingrained in our hearts. That there are two choices. There's one choice, and that is to rebel against God and stay in rebellion to him and experience death, ongoing death. Or to reconcile ourselves to God. And... We're smart if we take the latter choice. We're wise if we take the latter choice to reconcile ourselves to God. And that's our hope in the free gift of Christ. And as we read the following verses, let's observe the gift of life and the gift of re reconciliation with God. Out of Romans 5, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of who, is, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, and even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam's response to God, or to God's will, had implications for the entire human race. The offense of Adam brought death to all mankind. It brought condemnation it brought alienation from God and the result of, of alienation from God or this result to man of alienation from God is really what brings death you know the body and the spirit of man can simply not thrive and it cannot even survive when it's alienated from God it always leaves, alienation from God will always leave man without the resource to live. And death must come. The first Adam introduced disobedience and resulting condemnation. The old Adam's sing single, willful, disobedient action, it couldn't be overlooked by our infinitely holy God. Our righteous God. You know, Adam chose to act on the deceiver's advice in direct violation of God's command there in the garden. And God, in his mercy, he banished Adam from the garden. In Genesis 3, and 23, it indicates that had Adam eaten of the tree of life, 
that, that he may have lived forever in his physical state, but been spiritually dead. God banished him from the garden. He moved him out so that he couldn't live eternally. You can read that at your convenience later. Look at that Genesis 3, 22 and 23. You know, he would have, in that state, he would have become an eternal being destined to live spiritual death, condemned to live spiritually separate, separated from God forever. But then again, there again, Adam's single act of rebellion, it resulted in condemnation for Adam's race, and he was moved out of the garden. In contrast, the incarnation of Christ, Christ coming in the flesh, and his obedient response to God's will, had and continues to have profound implications for the human race that are much more beyond whatever, however Adam affected the human race. Christ is referred to the second Adam, he lived in obedience to the Father's will. And the resulting gift of life is based on his sacrificial act and his divinity. Whereas the free gift, it follows many offenses of mankind, including the humiliation and the ultimate rebellion against the Son of Man by crucifying him. This free gift, it, it follows those, those offenses against God. Christ gives of himself. He reconciles all men to God. From Adam, the first person created, to whatever his or her name is, who will be the last person born. It provides grace to forgive all sins. Grace that needs to be accepted and embraced to be useful to the beneficiary. It provides the power to live above the sting of death Defeat. It promises a new body to the believer, one that will no longer face decline and ultimately decay. It promises eternal fellowship with God in his heavenly kingdom. This is what the gift, what Christ gives us, promises. So much more than what Adam brought upon the race. The free gift reconciles all men to God from Adam. It provides power to live above the sting of, de of death and defeat. Thanks to Christ Jesus, the death sting is conquered. 1 Corinthians 15.55 No more fear of death because there's a confidence based on Christ's blood to enter into God's presence. Our carnal bodies, they'll continue to face decline and ultimate death. However, thanks to the work of Christ, the moment we become a believer... We also become alive spiritually. We go from a dead state spiritually. We go from having a heart of stone spiritually to having a heart of flesh, of spiritual flesh. A spiritual seed sprouts that will not die. It just sprouts there. It moves. It grows. And as we come into the eternal presence of God, it develops more and more. And I believe throughout eternity, we'll keep on developing. It's an incorruptible seed. And what's not to like about that? We'll be given incorruptible bodies in the image of God. And how that works, I don't know exactly, but we'll become incorruptible. And again, I say, what's not to like about that? That's beautiful. The sting of death is gone with Christ, with the free gift. Eternal fellowship with the Father. How much greater the gift of life 
that Christ gives than the sting of death that brought that Adam's sin brought upon his race. And then I look at our own inadequacy. So many times we think, well, we can do it. <clears throat> we can do great works. We can do this or that or the other. And we think, somehow think that we have something to offer God or fellow men. How much greater is the work of Christ in our lives than anything that we could ever hope to concoct or work in ourselves? How much greater the work of Christ in our lives than anything that we could ever hope to make in and of ourselves? Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he, Christ, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever liveth to bring people, to reconcile people, man, you and me, to God. Matthew 27, 51 says, Then behold, and this is the crucifixion of the resurrection scene, Christ is, resurrection, is resurrected. At this time, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom in Matthew 27, verse, verse 51. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And I don't have time to go into this, the significance of the veil too much. But I would like to point this out. Throughout the Old Testament, the veil, that veil of the temple, it figured very highly in the Jewish worship system. This veil, it separated the rest of the temple, the gathering area, from the Holy of Holies. And of course, only Jews could come into even the, the inner court. But to go from the inner court into the Holy of Holies, only the, a priest, a high priest could go in there. And that was once a year to offer up sacrifice for the sins of the people. And in fact, there's, it's said that they even wore a rope around their leg with a, with a bell hooked on. And in case that bell stopped ringing, they, they'd be able to pull the, the priest out. Uh, because if someone else entered, it was felt that they would die as well. Um, this was, the, this was a, this, the severity or the... Uh, significance, you might say, of, of coming into God um, unprepared, not ready to meet and to bring the sacrifice to God exactly as it was supposed to be done. There was this veil to go through. When this, when Christ was resurrected, this veil that is thought to have been up to four inches thick and maybe even 60 feet tall in the temple there, it was rent all the way from the top to the bottom. It was a woven material. And it was torn apart from top to bottom. And that seems so clear of a picture that God was trying to bring us that we are now, Jew and Gentile, everyone has access to the Father now, into the Holy of Holies. We can come in. And that makes, that makes my scalp prickle. You know, to think that we have that, we have that possibility to come to God. And we should really treasure that. 
This torn veil, and I'd like to look at a, a story in the Bible here. This torn veil gave indication of the possibilities for the Jew and the Gentile and the Ethiopian eunuch as well. I was uh, reading the account there in Isaiah 53 and, and thought about the Ethiopian eunuch and, and Philip and thought this, this uh, passage fit in so well out of Acts 8, 26 through 40. We have the, the Philip here. The, the setting was Philip was teaching the Samaritans. He was preaching with the others. And the Spirit called him to go out into the, the desert. And uh, so he went. He listened. And it says this, the place of Scripture, he met the eunuch out there. And the place of Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And I would love to know where all Philip went into scripture. I'm sure the Holy Spirit brought to his mind all those prophetic scriptures that Jesus had used in his preaching, in his teaching, in his work, in his mission here. Philip, as an apostle, had seen and he had experienced Jesus' work of teaching, his healing and his discipling. He had went through the painful crucifixion event and then the incredible but holy, true resurrection experience. You know, we look, like I said, we look at the crucifixion and the resurrection through the lens of history. We look back and we can even become dispassionate about it. You know, it happened. It happened and we, we start looking at it analytically and we look at it this way and we look at it that way and how does it all fit together and so forth. And I think risk really realizing in our hearts and souls the passion of Christ. And we need to look at it carefully. For Philip, I'm sure the personal experience of having lived through those most unsettling times was very, very personal. All his feelings must have risen to the surface. I can just hear him, uh, you know, speaking to that eunuch. His feelings must have come to the surface as he knowledgeably spoke of, of the suffering and of the resurrected Christ. He had been there. He had seen it happen. He had seen those tears, those great tears, as it were, of blood. He had heard maybe Jesus saying, you know, not my will, but thine be done. He had seen the awful scourging and the kangaroo, kangaroo court of the, of the high priest there. And Pilate trying to deliver Jesus and... and uh, you know, bring Barabbas up and how they chose, you know, they mixed the sin with the holy and, and punished the holy instead of the sinful. And, um, you know, then he had seen the, the evidence of Christ's resurrection, met Christ, probably seen Thomas say, you know, I won't believe, or heard him say this, I won't believe unless I see the scars in his hands. And feet, and then seeing Jesus show up and say, Thomas, touch, touch my hand here. And I, I imagine he related this to the eunuch, 
told him about this. Most importantly, he had experienced the resurrection of Christ in his own heart. And brothers and sisters, folks, whoever you are, there's nothing more important than this. You know, life is nothing more than vanity unless we experience the resurrection of Christ in our hearts. The Easter story has no more impact on our daily lives than pastel colored eggs and and bunny rabbits if our hearts have not been resurrected. It's so important. For the eunuch, we know the results. Philip spoke to him. He preached to him. He gave him the gospel. The eunuch believed and was baptized into the Christian faith. The eunuch is saved. He entered into the Holy of Holies through faith in Christ, and he gained new life through his life-giving power, the power of his shed blood. And isn't that beautiful? This Gentile comes into the Holy of Holies. He's reconciled with God there. And so are we. So are we. And then we have Christ, the ruler of all peoples. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him... All things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. And when I read this, I think who else would be worthy to have this said about him? Who else would be worthy to have preeminence? Who else would I rather have have all this power? There's no one else that comes anywhere close to who I would rather have. Christ is the one that deserves it, and he receives it. And I'm glad of that. I wouldn't want this power in anyone else's hands. I wouldn't want it in my hands for sure, and I wouldn't want it in anyone else's, any other person. But Christ has this. By him and for him, all things are. Because why? He is the firstborn from the dead. He was willing to go to the cross. He was willing to be obedient unto death. And because of that, he was resurrected into life. The will of the Father progressed. It moved on. That in all things he may have preeminence. The firstborn from the dead. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. I think maybe Philip maybe may have looked at this scripture. I'd like to read this, First, uh, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, meaning the stump of Jesse. It's almost a dead stump, but out of this grows something new. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the, of the fear of the Lord, His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity 
for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall, shall graze, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The, nurth, the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters that cover the sea, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. I don't understand all of this scripture, but one thing I do take from it, and that is, so much goodness, so much righteousness, overwhelming righteousness, shall come from this person, Christ. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. He shall judge the poor. With righteousness he shall judge the poor. He won't judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. He'll judge righteous judgment. The wolf and lying down with the lamb and the young lion and the fatling together. Now I wonder if that doesn't speak of the peace of Christ's kingdom. Those that would kill, those that had killed, and those that had embraced Christ coming together. The, the pervasive effect of the gospel pouring, like it says, Isaiah in verse 9, uh, there shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. As the water comes down, it pours out, it spreads over, it covers, it covers, it covers. I think that's what this picture here is saying. Um, uh, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. This righteousness will bring people together in, in the peace of, of Christ as, as people embrace Christ. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. There will be those that won't seek him. There will be those that will reject him. There will be those that will have to forcefully come to Christ, crying for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. And that's a very sad, sad picture in my mind. Christ the judge, Matthew 13, 41 through 43. And we read that this morning. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> there will be condemnation for those that push back. <clears throat> for those that have refused to be drawn by Christ. For those that have continue to rebel. For those that have gone into denial and said, you know, we just don't have to do it. We don't have to listen. This is not right. God cannot expect this of us. There will be a day coming when God says yes. I expected all of that of you. 
I expected you to be drawn. I tried to draw you. I gave everything. I gave my son. He sacrificed himself. Gave his own life. His own blood. And you've not. You've rebelled. And because of that, there's forever alienation between you and me. And that, my friends, is the epitome of judgment. To be alienated from God for eternity. But it sounds more than just an alienation. It's, it's more than just that. It's an it's a active condemnation and judgment. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that, my friends, is hell. But I love this following verse. We can embrace Christ. We can accept Him. We can take Him into our hearts. We can refuse to listen to the voice of the enemy. And we can, as it says here, let's read this, this last verse, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Imagine that. We can, as righteous people, because of the blood of Christ, because of what he's done for us, the significance of Easter, his resurrection, his preeminence. It says the righteous, we can be righteous and we'll shine forth as a sun. Do you get that? Shine forth as a sun, not some little insignificant little speck in eternity. But shining forth as a sun, really having an impact in our surroundings, being realized by our surroundings, being uh, respected by our surroundings. As a brother to Christ, we'll shine forth as a sun for eternity. You know, I look, I look forward to, the, to that day. I look forward to the day when those, we, all those who have embraced Christ, and this requires suffering, those who have suffered with him, and have been raised to newness of life with Christ, will be brought to that newness of life and shine forth as the sun. Maybe that means S-O-N as well. Maybe there's a dual meaning there. Shine forth as Christ. You know, what a bright promised future for those living in the shadow of death. And I believe that's where we live today. We're living in the shadow of death. Death is making its imprint on our surroundings. We can be living in life right now, but we're living in the shadow of death. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful promise for all of us who are living there. And it's all because of Jesus' sacrificial love for us and his obedience to the Father. That's why. That's why we can look forward to that beautiful day when we can shine as a sun. And uh, God help us to, to uh, be faithful, to not rebel, to embrace him, his son, his gift.